Where are we, Cindy? Patisserie Valerie in London's Victoria. We are indeed, and we are enjoying a fantastic looking cream tea. I can't wait to have it. <laughs> We've worked our way through some fantastic little sandwiches, mm -hmm. and there are some beautiful pastries on the, on the top here, on top plate. This chocolate cake is just staring at me. It is, and also those little mini, those little mini eclairs as well, yeah. they look really good, don't they? But mm -hmm. We're here really for one thing, I suppose, which is the uh, the centerpiece of any cream tea, which is uh, which is the scone, the scones, or scones, as, as, as if you're weird, would would call them. So, so this, I feel this is a big moment here for the education podcast and for us probably. Yeah. Really thinking about this. So, depending on which way you go here. So, I suppose the first question is, uh, fruit or plain? What are you going to go for? Um, I think I'll go with the plain one today. Go plain, okay. Yeah. So she's taking it off the uh, yeah. off the plate there. It's onto the. It's really nice and warm, fresh out of the oven. <laughs> so I think I'll take some cream, and yeah, put some jam on top. Wow! So breaking BSI EdPod news: uh, Cindy is going for the cream on first. So talk us through that decision. I mean, you know, I would have gone the other way, but cream on first for you. That's really interesting. <laughs> I thought of the cream because it's like putting butter on bread. Well, a lot of people think that, but they're absolutely wrong. <laughs> then what's your logic? Well, I think I think cream, really. Cream is a topping right. for any pudding or cake, really. And also, I think practically, getting jam on first, it's easier to put the cream on top of jam than jam on top of cream, don't you think? You do have a yeah, point there. Do you have a point there? I think either way, though, I think they're going to taste fantastic. Now, obviously, with uh, our scone, we need tea. So I've got milk substitute in mine. If you've got anything in anything in your tea, I've added some honey to mine. Honey, nice. So, well, let's. Uh, should we should we tuck into this? Yes, let's do it. Here's the episode. Sweet. Bringing you the stories behind the standards. This is the BSI Education Podcast with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is on standards and food. Hello. My name is Matthew Childs and I am with Cindy Paragill. Hello, Cindy. How are you? Chipper and you. Tip top. Now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And in this episode, we are tucking into the subject of standards and food. And I've only just about recovered from discovering that for scones, for Cindy, it's cream before jam. <laughs> Matthew, I'm sure our friendship and the podcast can survive this earth-shattering news. <laughs> yes, we're looking at standards and food with our expert guest, Sarah Walton, sector lead for food at BSI. Sarah tells us about the relationship between standards and regulation in the sector, some of the new innovations standards are enabling, and the impact of Brexit. Now, in our cream tea disagreement, I mentioned sweetening my tea with a little bit of honey. And Sarah also has some interesting things to say about the definition of honey. This episode is the latest of our sector tasters, following on from those we have done for health, built environment and transport. Check out the podcast feed. Did you see what I did there? I did. Now, this episode is jam-packed with food punnage. Uh, also in this episode, we have our standards desk of news and the latest of our My Favourite Standard. This time we hear from BSI's Ivan Salcedo. Ivan tells us about why BS 5261-2 
copier preparation and proof correction is his favourite standard. Now, Cindy, as we said, this is a food episode, and I want to stick with the issue of our cream tea for a moment. Here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Alan Sellers, formerly of the BSI Ed Pod, put Mm -hmm. put up something on social media recently. By the way, Alan, I hope you're enjoying your new job which actually, Cindy, is food-related. But really? I think for us to mention the brand name that Alan works for, I think we'd need the promise of one of his products, wouldn't we? Yeah. Anyway, did you see this? Did you see what Alan put up? I did, I did. <laughs> now, Alan was taking a well-earned break from his engineering endeavours and, like us, also indulging in some tea and cake at a local cafe and thinking, as he always does when he's drinking tea, about the standards BS6008 <laughs> and ISO 3103 methods for brewing tea. Of course. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, for some reason, on this occasion, he decided to take the look, a look at the bottom of his cup and saw the following printed on it, BS 4034, which prompted him to shout to everyone in the cafe, standards are everywhere. Yeah, he didn't, did he? <laughs> Actually, I, uh, I think I made that bit up, but no <laughs> doubt he was tempted. Now, BS 4034 is a standard from 1990 and is a specification for vitrified hotelware, which covers, amongst other things, thermal testing, stain tests and water absorption. Vitrified? Yeah, I had to look that up too. It's the, the firing process for clay to make it scratch and stain resistant. But this got me thinking, new feature klaxon? What other standards are printed out there on everyday items out in the wild? That's a good question. Maybe we, yeah, maybe we could call it hashtag BSI spy. Mm, I love that. Now, many people might be familiar with the standards you see on manhole covers, such as EN124 and BS497. Take a look next time you step over one of those. So we thought if you see a standard number out there, then email it to us at education at bsigroup.com or better still, post a photo on social media using that hashtag BSI spy, as well as the usual hashtag BSI ed pod. Now, before we get going proper, a quick reminder that for more information on BSI education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the podcast and you listen via Apple Podcasts, then please consider giving us a five-star rating. It's quick and easy, and it really does make a difference to us being found in search and recommendations. Share us on social media using that hashtag BSIEdPod. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes, or even ideas for future episodes, then do please get in touch at education at bsigroup.com. We really welcome your feedback. Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well, if so, BSI Student Research Programme can help. The way it works is simple. We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. So in this episode, our guest is Sarah Walton, BSI Sector Lead for Food. 
In this first course, Sarah talks about some of the key standards issues in the food sector, such as digital transformation and new technologies, plus the relationship between BSI and the Food Standards Agency. And she also tells us about one of the key standards in the sector, ISO 22000. But we start with Sarah's standards journey. Well, I've been in standards making for around 15 years now, which is somewhat of a shock to me when you when I thought you might ask me this question. Um, um, but I've come from an information background um, from business and legal publishing. So I was always interested in um, making sure that people knew things that they needed to know in order to operate the best they could. Um, it was always about educating and, and giving people learning that they needed. Um, and, and in fact, a lot of the stuff I did in legal and business publishing was talking about standards. So you could say my, a lot of, almost my entire career has been, you know, sort of leading to this point in a way. Um, and I've been, as I say, well, I, when I came into the uh, standards making world, I, I was I was funnily enough one of the first committees I was working on was 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 the food committee, the food safety committee. So that was interesting. And I'd I'd come, as I say, I was doing food hygiene, um, best practice books, uh, and information and newsletters uh, in my publishing career as well. So uh, it was it was it's quite sort of an interesting circle that I've come to now. And tell us about tell us about your role now for BSI. So right now I'm the um, sector lead for the agri-food sector, uh, which which entails having an overview of of all of the sort of standards and um, and knowledge that uh, that might be needed by organisations who who are, you know, operate in the food sector, um, and so you know I that's that's actually quite a a, a a lot of different topics and subjects because of course. Obviously, the food sector is a big sector um, in the UK. It's something it's the fourth largest manufacturing sector, or it might even be the largest one now, actually. Um, and it's the the fourth in the world, I think. Um, and it's uh, it's just that all these sort of organisations have very they they're very keen to know about everything, you know, not just about the food that they're operating and the quality of that, but also about how they should operate their businesses and how they they should govern them and what environmental impacts they might have um, and how to best manage that performance as well. We're going to come on later to talk about about sort of standards making now within the sector mm. and also looking forward to the future. But just taking a step back, what about the sort of broad <clears throat> history of standards in, in the food sector? How should I put this? Has it been a, a growing area over the years? Um, I mean, it 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 has and it hasn't. It, it's an it's an interesting one because we've we've always been um, we've always had a lot of standards uh, in in food uh, to to test the, the, its quality really and to make sure that, that that it's it's fit for 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 its purpose for its consumption. Um, it, and those standards are used by laboratories mostly these are microbiological standards or standards on on um, you know so microbiology in the food chain um, things to do with uh, the content of uh, 
you know, particular cereal products, for example, you know, determination of, of properties of, of dough, um, what, what sort of hydration, what sort of moisture content there is in, in milk or in meat or something like that. So there are very specific tests that have to be done in order to check that quality. And those have been going for, for, for many, many years, those sorts of standards, I think, um, certainly in, in the international space. It's one of the oldest committees, um, the, the Foodstuffs Committee, the Food Products Committee, um, and we've been mirroring that and working with uh, experts in that area for years now. Um, and then we had the the whole sort of broader-based food quality um, management, food safety management as a as a system. How do you manage the system uh, within any aspect of the food chain? Uh, so that's uh, the the, the the big standard in this area, the 22,000 standard. But I would say that, that those sorts of really fundamental sort of building blocks, those, those standards, are not maybe best recognised um, by you know, the consumers or, or, um, or even a lot of the organisations that, that may take standards because mostly those, those standards, they, they rely on them, but they're used by the laboratories or the test the testing uh, houses, they're not used specifically by retailers or you know, brands or you know, people like you know, who are using them as end product. But now we're finding that there are much more uh, standards growing in, uh, in new fields. So <laughs> apologies for using that pun. I knew I would. But, there are, but all of the sort of innovation around um, new production methods that I mentioned and new, new um methods of producing food such as uh, fortifying food with nutrients uh, as a, as in, in a traditional uh, method of, of propagation um, so it, so to, so as to ensure that there would be the best um, aspect of or the, the, the most uh, zinc or vitamin A or iron within that crop um, is that's that's a, a that's a sort of a new research piece that that has now you know is now being standardized um and there are also production methods such as needing uh, ro robotics digitization is a is a huge issue now in the in the food chain um and how best that will be used uh to to ensure that that we get the, the you know the, the most out of the food that we that we finally get on our plates um and that that, that but it is produced in the, the best and most sustainable ways possible. Digitization is, is going to be key to that. Um, and so a lot of the standards we're seeing now are, are coming around that sort of um, the robotics, the, 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 not just the robotics, but also the next stage is down, you know, how, how does that data get used? What is, what is you know, so not specifically about food as such, but how it's being managed within the chain. So, so I would say that's where the growth is. A lot of the growth is around, yes, there's innovative methods. And, and yes, obviously, there are all sorts of stuff around industrial biotechnology and use of, and there's insect protein being, you know, coming online. Um, but at the moment, that's mostly an animal feed. But and 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 right now, there's there's not much in the way of standardisation in that space. But people are talking about it. They're starting to think about, you know, what what do we need in order to make um, make this new method of taking um, brewers' um, waste and turning it into a, a rich source of omega three 
instead of using fish stocks, what do we need in order to make that into a more um, viable um, industry, a more viable um, possibility, a production method, um, food method, source, to encourage others to enter that market? Um, and maybe we need something that will give it structure, that will help others to understand that this is the best way to do these things in order to to, to move forward and to um, to scale up and to commercialize better. So so those are the sorts of areas, the sort of innovative types of foodstuffs themselves and, and production methods and also the sort of digitizing part of it, I would say. And we are seeing definitely, um, ISO, for example, have just started um, uh, a, a a, f a smart farming special advisory group and that smart farming covers all sorts of issues including how best to use food waste you know what what sorts of things are we doing with food waste in order to either put it into the, the circular economy or think about its sustainable um, aspects uh, to manage it better um, and so that we, we're not losing so much or um, and also the other side of things which I've just mentioned, things like digitization and crop robotics and uh, those sorts of areas as well. These are all things that, um, you know, the, the whole sort of area of agri-economics is, is very much, I think, under the spotlight in this new group, which hasn't met yet. But I know that, that um, we've, we've already nominated um, expert to, uh, experts to go to that, or one expert actually, to go to that uh, group uh, from Harper Adams University. So we're, we're sort of very, um, we're very keen to be involved in the UK in, um, you know, in ensuring that best practice is, is being examined and explored uh, in the most effective way possible. You mentioned there, Sarah, about some of the uh, issues around digital transformation and sort mm. of new technologies. And I think that's, uh, it's interesting to hear that <clears throat> Those issues are obviously important for this sector, as they are for lots of other sectors across the economy. Mm. I just think in the in the UK, just go back to sort of architecture for, for a second. A mm. lot of people will have heard of the Food Standards Agency. And mm -hmm. I just wonder if you could have explained sort of what the relationship between BSI as a, as a national standards body and the mm. Food Standards Agency and maybe some of the other sort of important stakeholder players within this particular sector. So the Food Standards Agency is a, is the regulatory agency for the UK, they're the regulators, um, they're the, they effect, effectively enforce the, the quality of, of and safety of food in the UK. Um, so as regulators, although they call standards agency, um, standards is a, an awkward word, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's that awkward word. <laughs> it's, it means one thing and... and in our everyday speech, and that's why it, it, it appears in so many of these um, conversations about food, because obviously what we're looking for is to maintain, particularly for, for what we're eating, good standards of safety um, and, and hygiene in our food. And that's essentially what the Food Standards Agency are doing. And so they have a lot of best practice. They actually um, are very instrumental in a number of the standardization um pieces that I talked about in the microbiological area because they have a lot of scientists who know what should be you know safe levels of 
you know, various things within different foodstuffs um, or ways in which you should test that and what the parameters ought to be in order to allow this thing to be um, on the shelf in any in any sense whatsoever um, for say for consumers. Um, so that's that's what the Food Standards Agency does, and, and evidently we work closely with them to to ensure that you know aspects of that is you know a very aspects of the safety is very much to the fore in standardisation. Um, and they, but ultimately they're regulating and enforcing. Um, but they're also exploring, and we we sort of hope to support their their you know a, a, a very important. Um, collaborator, and um, and because they're a regulator, they're also, you know, a, 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 a body that we hope to be able to support with what we do um, around, you know, supporting infrastructure most effectively. So to support and complement some of the regulatory things that they need to bring in, uh, we we hope to be able to. You know, support that with standards. Uh, we've, as I say, I've mentioned the, some of the ones that we have already, but we've also looking looking to the future. The Food Standards Agency are as interested as as the next body in um, digitization and data trust in the food supply chain. You know, and making sure that those things are um, effectively um, and holistically brought in uh, to to make them, you know, to make them work as well as possible for. The, food, the whole food system. Um, so yeah, so so there's the Food Standards Agency, and then you've got a number of really key players. So you've got the Food and Drink Federation, who are the big industrial federation. So they 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 represent you know, many of the food um, food organisations, food companies in the UK, um, and they're very active and they, they are very uh, very much respected by government and they're, they're, they sit on um, trade advisory groups and they are, um, you know, they, they are a, a, an important voice. Um, and also the National Farmers Union, another very important voice um, for, you know, for the producers. Um, and there are, a number of very different and very important organisations, but I would say that those those two and and obviously the hospitality association. But we don't do as much around catering and hospitality, perhaps as as other groups do. Now you mentioned earlier ISO twenty two thousand. Can you tell us a bit more about that particular standard? So twenty two thousand is um, the you know it's a really important uh, standard because it is the the, the Food safety management systems. It's the international standard on about food safety management systems. So for any aspect of the food chain, um, it's it's you know it's it's recognised uh, very widely uh, internationally. It's becoming more and more recognised um, via uh, being you know, the basis of of, uh, of quite big um, certification scheme, which is recognised by the global. Um, food Safety Initiative, which is a, a consortia of, of big food businesses, basically that, that 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 want to be able to agree amongst themselves that that these are the standards that they're operating to, um, and the the Food Safety Management Systems standard has various parts to it. Um, on you know, and and it has you know, it basically prerequisite 
programs they're called which so that they these are sort of part of the specification if you like depending upon whether you're in which part of the food chain you're in so it could be manufacturing catering farming um, food packaging manufacturing uh, transport storage um, feed and animal food prote- production so it, it's it's um it's a it's a big um, standard with a lot of parts to it that um, are very um, important and very much relied upon by people who are thinking how do I what are, what are, what are, you know what do I need in order to to think my way through a system that that will give the best quality uh, and best practice to for my for my production and for my customers ultimately and for, for everybody involved we'll hear the second course of Sarah's interview later but for now Cindy it's that time on the episode. Shall we have the Stammer's Desk of News? Yep, let's do it. Good governance. We are living in rapidly changing and challenging times. And now, more than ever, governing bodies are being called upon to ensure their organisations act with purpose, sustainability and society in mind. Developed by experts across 70 countries, the new standard ISO 37000 governance of organisations can help organisations to meet these challenges head-on. It gives them the tools they need to govern well, enabling them to perform effectively while behaving ethically and responsibly. Investing wisely. Trillions of dollars. That's the estimated amount of money it will take to mitigate climate change. Green finance is one way of getting there, but a lack of harmonised definitions of what constitutes green threatens to slow its growth. A new series of ISO standards has been published to help. ISO 14030 provides an internationally agreed roadmap for issuing green bonds and loans. And finally, the little book of net zero. BSI recently collaborated with the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment to discover how far UK businesses have travelled on the road to net zero. We found that if businesses continue at their current rate of progress, they are highly likely to fall short of the UK government's 2050 net zero target. Help is at hand, however, though, in the form of BSI's recently published Little Book of Net Zero, a short, straightforward how-to guide. To download your free copy, go to bsigroup.com and search The Little Book of Net Zero. And that's The Standards Desk of News. My favourite standard. This My Favourite Standard comes courtesy of Ivan Salcedo, who leads on knowledge innovation here at BSI. He tells us about why the standard BS5261-2, Copy Preparation and Proof Correction, is so important to him. My name's Ivan Salcedo, and I'm the Principal of Knowledge Innovation at uh, BSI. That means I'm looking after the future of standards, in particular the future of digital standards. So it's perhaps uh, inevitable that I've chosen uh, the most analog standard that I can think of. And it was the first one that I really learned to use in anger. It was during a career transition earlier in my career where I was uh, doing a lot of work on corporate communications and copy editing. And uh, I was introduced at evening class to a wonderful thing called BS5261 Part 2, 2005, Copy Preparation and Proof Correction. 
Part two, specification for typographic requirements, marks for copy preparation and proof correction, proofing procedure. Uh, a very, very long-winded introduction, which fortunately I never had to um, deal with because what it uh, contains is a, is a series of symbols that you use to mark up text, particularly printed text, uh, if you're looking to uh, change the layout or provide some feedback to uh, either the typesetter or in some cases the, the author. And it was um, a fantastic revelation of these kind of wonderful runes of, of insight and kind of best practice that have been handed down from proofreader to proofreader and um, typesetter to typesetter for, for generations and codified in this way. And I was completely, I was blissfully unaware. I mean, why would you know? Um, and so I was using these in evening class and uh, promptly my career as a proofreader turned out to be very non-lucrative. So I went back to my proper job, which was in um, product development and web application uh, work. And lo and behold, several years later, I am presented with this challenge of this digital standard um, which has a very paper-based output. So um, this particular standard is available uh, in a laminated form. Uh, I've yet to laminate a website. Um, this is a particular kind of challenge, I think, for the future. Um, and uh, it, it's 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 a wonderful kind of thing. And, and you think it's kind of um, kind of obsolete, really, because it deals with um, print, and uh, the print industry, uh, by, by and large, is no longer done on paper. Um, the correction and proofing production process. So, there, but there is, it kind of lives on through um, BSISO 5776, which is graphic technology symbols for text proof correction. And so many of the same symbols that I'm familiar with there are now kind of part of this, um, what is essentially kind of typesetting emojis um, that you can put onto uh, copy uh, in order to um, improve the feedback and understand the, uh, the layout intention of the designer in particular uh, better. So that's it. That's my favorite standard. Um, it's a nice kind of serendipitous journey of discovery, um, crossing over of analog and digital, and very much focused on publishing. We return now to our conversation with Sarah Walton. In this second course, I speak to Sarah about the UK national food strategy, the impact of Brexit, and where food standards might go next. But we started by talking about food definitions used around the world, and in particular, for honey. That's right. And a lot of the, the terms are still being defined around a, a, a lot of products that, that, that we eat every day and have been eating for many years. So the, the honey one, for example, you know, the definition of terms there is still being you know, is still under discussion um, because it is different in different parts of the world. I believe in in Germany, they don't they don't believe in runny honey. Runny honey does not exist in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, you're saying you can't really ask the bees, can you? That's the thing. You can't no. involve you can't involve the producers in that sense about no, how no, they you define can't, it. You can't talk to the bees about it, although you can observe them, which one should, I feel, because they are very important to our survival on the planet. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it is fascinating and and. Um, and people are very um, people who produce food are very passionate about it. I found, you know, certainly talking to honey producers, and uh, it, it's been it's been a really interesting um, journey for me to to meet people who are actively involved every day in in ensuring, you know, in in, in the whole sort of business of producing one type of food stuff or another. In this case, in one case, honey. Um, 
I've also been talking to people producing um, uh, cannabinoid as well for for consumption, mm -hmm. uh, and that's also very interesting because they it's not just for consumption, but also there are so many aspects to the cannabinoid issue, which is a very um, complex one um, and is very much under regulatory um, control. Um, but but there's hemp being produced, and hemp is a really interesting material, which isn't necessarily for consumption, but which is being, which is as a byproduct of something that is often used for consumption. Um, and yet it has incredible amounts of, uh, of potential use as a sustainable material, you know, for the future. So, it, you know, there are all these byproducts and different areas which kind of spring from the food chain, which is, which is quite fascinating mm. when you start to, to work within it. And I suppose what's also fascinating is you think that arguments or discussions that may have may have taken place and you think of, of nailed down a particular issue. So you're talking there about the definition of honey. Mm. You think that, well, we, we sorted that a long time ago and we can mm. we can move on. But I think it's a fascinating one of the fascinating aspects of standards making is that even those fundamental terms can be broken out again and, and a debate a debate, a debate needs to take place. So it's constantly think looking back and reviewing, thinking is this, what do we mean by this? What is good practice in this area? Constantly under review. Absolutely, constantly under review. Um, and and you, you're quite right to mention the, you know, there, there are issues of the, the, the cultural norms and, and the ways that different, um, uh, different parts of the world think about food. It, it is very much um, in play when, when you're thinking about um, how you know how you reach some understanding and consensus around what what it is that 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 this means, what this term is, what this definition is, before you can start thinking how would you test for it, and what you know in order to ensure that you have what you know, that give reassurance about what it is you're receiving when you're when you're importing, exporting, buying. So over the summer, the, the UK government published its national food strategy. I mean, how, how important a document is that? Well, I, I think it's very important. I mean, it's the first uh, national food strategy for about 70 years. Um, and I think um, it, it was an independently commissioned um, document or a, a report, research, uh, done by Henry uh, under the aegis of Henry Dimbleby, and he he consulted very widely, um, and he basically this was the second part of it. It was the plan, the things that that ought to be in place to support a food system, a sustainable food system going forward into the future. Um, and th so now it's been presented. It was presented sort of mid mid July. Um, the government is taking around six months. It said to to you know, digest that and also to to gather its own evidence and think about how it wants to respond to it and um, so it's it's inviting responses from um, interested stakeholders and different parties you know in in the food chain and and obviously those who have have some impact on it and will BSI be playing a role in that? Will we be making our own response to that? Absolutely, yes. We very much intend to um, to be able to, you know, certainly to, to make a response and to to really sort of, you know, outline what um, those areas that we, as a the standards body, could help support um, a new a 
a new way forward, a different way of looking at the food system, um, and uh, you know, it's, it, both in terms of its sustainability um, and its security, um, thinking about food security and, and supply chains, and and also it's um, you know, it being able to produce good quality food for the population. Now, I don't think we can talk about food and food standards without mentioning Brexit. Mm-hmm. I just wonder from a from a standards making perspective, you know, what impact does Brexit and Britain leaving the the EU have for developing food standards? Well, um it it doesn't have much impact for developing food standards as such. I mean, as as far as the standards body is concerned in in the UK as far as BSI is concerned, we we continue business as usual in making standards and being involved and engaged in the international and the European uh, standards making um landscape. So we 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 maintain that um, and continue, but um, so the the sort of standards that we make will, will you know continue to be made around you know testing food quality, ensuring that that they it reaches certain standards and that it will it it will it will suffice and will pass pass the the tests of of um, both consumers and and the, you know, the retail brands who 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 need to be assured of it. Um, so. Uh, that's not in question. Um, the things that that will will change are around um, regulation. At the moment, the regulation though has been transferred um, pretty much wholesale um, into the UK um, regulatory system. Um, so I, it it hasn't changed over much just yet. Um, things may change, obviously, in the future, and and that's that's something that that we will doubtless see. Um, going forward, but the but the the sorts of consensus standards that we're in, engaged in won't won't ultimately change. But there'll be more need of, you know, good um, good quality standards, good standards that will will reassure people of 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 the of, of the quality and authenticity and provenance of of food, which is both imported and exported. So in terms about the future then, you know, where where do food standards go next? What's on the what's on the menu? The sustainability issue is is huge at the moment. You know, is is this feasible and how can we make this work? I mean, we're going to have um I mean we have the issue of the of food waste being, I think, if it were a country, um, I think the emissions from f- food waste would be something like the third largest country in the world or something it's it's vast so it's you know we we need to 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 get to grips with some very big issues in the food chain um in you know in short order really and to the way to do that is by you know approaching it in a holistic way and and by uh making you know structural agreements so that people can you know sort of deal with something from a from a larger perspective rather than than coming at it piecemeal um, and I think that that will be um, that's what I see for the future in you know that particularly these these big pieces around well how are we going to feed the planet I mean we're going to have nine billion people on the planet in um, by I think it's 2050 I mean we need to you know that's a lot of people to feed and you know, you do the math, as they say. Um, 
it, there's not actually currently the, the production methods that are being used enough land and sea to to produce food in the way that it has been produced up until now. So we need we need to really be thinking how to do that better. Um, and standards, you know, should be able to help people to to do that sort of systems thinking from you know from from first principles through to you know how we get food onto people's plates in the in the most you know most effective way possible and and it may well be you know that there will it, i mean it's not going to be just one thing here it's going to be you know th- that will be part of the solution there'll be all sorts of different ways in which things have got to be to be different um in order to to keep things uh going to the right in the right direction for 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 the for people and planet. Our thanks to Sarah Walton and Ivan Salcedo for their contributions to this episode and to you for listening. To find out more about the relationship between standards and food, visit bsigroup.com and search food. You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. just heard a stripped media production.